0: You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported.
1: Hey, Scott, you like X-Men, right?
0: Oh, yeah, totally.
1: Okay, I've got an idea for a new mutant. She can teleport to an alternate dimension.
0: Oh, cool. I really like that.
1: And she can manifest a metal arm.
0: Okay, doesn't really fit with the dimension thing, but- And a sword! Okay, I have some
1: notes. And a puppet? I said I have some notes. And the puppet turns into a dragon. Greg, I have some notes.
2: Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm
0: Scotty Bourgeois.
2: And I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing 2020's New Mutants, uh, uh, an X-Men family of film. (laughs) Uh, And for uh, our New Mutant uh, conversation, uh, we have assembled uh, a veritable Avengers team of... (laughs) of uh um X-Men super fans. Not even um, an X-Force? No, no, but it's the Avengers, <laughs> maybe the Justice League. Uh um uh yeah, we got we got two uh X-Men super fans here. Uh we are joined once again uh by by uh friend of the show, longtime guest, member of the debutante sketch comedy group, uh performer on Quantum Kickflip, uh, a podcast here on the Alberta Podcast Network. Uh, as well as just a musician, playwright, podcaster in his own right, please welcome Robin Slack.
3: Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk X Men because uh, I I have not uh, had the chance with you guys before to to dig into. Uh, one of the many, many uh, <laughs> less than stellar X Men movies, uh, because that uh, that market has been monopolized by your other guest up to this point.
2: Yes, our other guest, of course, uh, the one of the co editors of the unofficial Hugo Book Club blog uh, and a contributor, in fact, to the Marvel Encyclopedia, a number of entries on mutants and X Men. Please welcome uh, Olav Rockney. Hello. Uh, yes, you might remember uh, Olav from our uh, Dark Phoenix episode. Technically, um, I actually didn't do very many mutant
4: entries. Um, <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah, I, did, no, I thought I you were the resident X-Men expert. <laughs> I have been misinformed. That's my bad. I did Next Wave Agents of Hate-related entries. I <laughs> okay. Iron Man-related entries. Um, I don't... I'm trying to think who all I did. The, the most memorable were the Next Wave... New Mutants was the first comic book I ever fell in love with. I was like uh, an 8-year-old. Uh just when it was coming out those uh Bill Sienkiewicz uh, covers were just like epic and then that that trade paperback of uh God Loves Man Kills like I was I was an X-Men fan for life because of New Mutants.
2: Uh, incredible, and then that's why we, we wanted to have both of you here, um, but I was also, when when you both approached us uh, to, to want to, you know, enthusiastically wanting to do this movie, uh, I concocted a scheme, uh, we're changing up the format of our uh, beloved little podcast here today, uh, and we are going head to head, this is a tag team match, um, <laughs> uh, to see which of the duos can fix the film, this is going to be our guests, Robin and Olav, diehard x-men fans for life uh against uh scott and greg uh who are uh, uh i don't know what your familiarity is with or or, or uh, love of x-men is but you've had uh, plenty of practice fixing movies so we got super fans <laughs> versus expert fixers uh we're gonna see uh who who can uh, tighten up and fix this uh pretty mediocre movie um also, right off the hop, uh, so that's, that's sort of the premise of today's episode. I'm going to kind of be refereeing. Uh, I did watch the movie, but I'd rather hear all these cats' thoughts than my own. Um, but right off the top, I just do want to address uh, that, you know, we, we've got two X-Men superfans here. That's why we're doing this. Um, but also, the X-Men, famously an allegory for marginalized people, people of color, women, the LGBT community, uh, uh, people with disabilities. Uh, and we have, of course, now assembled uh, uh, five white men to discuss it. Uh, so I, I just wanted to address that off the off the hop., um, We are approaching this fix, and really any episode of I have some Notes um as a creative writing exercise. That's really what we do here. We often review the films, criticize the films in the early parts of the episodes. Um, but that's always a means to the end of getting to the fixing, and and the fixing and the notes really are a creative writing exercise. Uh, so I just wanted to to at least acknowledge that. Um, yeah, we're not trying to position ourselves as any kind of authority. We're not trying. You know, I think this movie strongly would have benefited from more um, uh, people of color and women in the writers' room, but uh, written by two white men, directed by a white man. Uh, and now we're going to uh, tell these white men how they could have made this uh, teen movie about marginalized people better. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah. just, just something to keep in mind. This is always considered a creative writing exercise and using your imagination and practicing your writing, uh, I don't believe, is a gendered activity. So.
3: I had such a fun time going through a note stock and listing out all of my ideas for how I would do this differently. But in real life, if I was approached by Fox to fix this movie, my fix would be, yeah, hire more people who uh, have the lived experience of the perspectives you want to represent. Like I, I if I were in a position to take this on, that would be the note, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not. So instead, I get to have fun uh, <laughs> fantasizing about all the fun things I'd do. Yeah,
1: precisely. <laughs> I think we often we often tried our, our best to, uh, you know, acknowledge the perspectives of uh, marginalized peoples when they, when they do come up in these movies uh but obviously as a bunch of white dudes like you know we're gonna have some pretty huge blind spots you know and, and you know honestly if we if you if you feel like we've missed perspectives like you know send us a message i'd, I'd love to hear from you and, and we'd all like to hear from you about uh about anything that we missed and we'd be happy to talk about it on a, on a future episode yeah your
2: your listener comments are are always welcome um uh, proactively, but also reactively. If you listen to an episode and you have thoughts, uh, we'll obviously tag it on to the next time we record. So, uh, And today will be no different. Uh, so the only last little bit I want to say here is just let the folks know that we are, of course, talking about New Mutants. Came out August 28th, 2020. Great time to release a movie. I can't think of a better <laughs> summer summer window. Good than- year for movies. <laughs> Good year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the best year, question mark? Yeah.
2: Uh, Directed by Josh Boone, who did The Fault in Our Stars, uh, written by Josh Boone and Nate Lee, Uh, and then of course based on the new Mutants comics that Olav was discussing by Chris Claremont and Bob McCloud. We have uh, Blue Hunt as Danny Moonstar, Maisie Williams as Rain Sinclair, Anna Taylor-Joy as Ileana Rasputin, Charlie Heaton as Sam Guthrie, Henrik Zaga as Roberto DaCosta, and Alice Braga as Dr. Reyes. Um, yeah, what did y'all think of think of this movie? Did it, had anyone seen this before this week, out of
4: curiosity? No, I saw it on opening night. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. In the theater, I braved the pandemic because I am a New Mutants fan. I knew it would not be great, <laughs> but it that's... was better than I expected. Yeah, um,
0: that's. I'm gonna. I'm going to agree with Olav there. It was better than I expected because I was expecting it to be real bad going into it. And the tragedy is that it's not like it would almost be more memorable if it was really terrible, but it's almost forgettably mediocre.
4: This is the thing. It is one of the top third of all of the X-Men movies. (laughs) Anything is damning with faint praise. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, w- what would you place above this Olaf, in the pantheon of
4: x-men films logan deadpool x-men 2 x-men 1 oh first class
1: and then new mutants <laughs> i think i might put uh this above first class personally but oh, i didn't, no. i was not a fan of first class at all but the rest, the rest up. I think that's, yeah, that makes a lot of this sense. This
3: one beats out Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix for me. Mm-hmm. That might be it, but it's like, there's a middle stretch where they're just interchangeable. For, it's like, I have the ones I love, there's a bunch that are in the middle that I, uh, and then, and then there's a couple of real stinkers.
4: <laughs> Last Stand, X-Men Origins Wolverine, the ooh. Those are clearly worse than this.
3: Oh, yeah. This is true, actually. I I rescind my. I forget how many bad ones they made, honestly. Yeah. uh,
1: X Men's Origins Wolverine might be the worst superhero movie ever made. However,
3: uh, to Scott's point, that one might be more fun to watch because it's a genuine train wreck and not forgettably mediocre. I might have more fun having a few beers and watching Origins Wolverine to dunk on it than i did earnestly trying to appreciate this film
4: <laughs> i think if this movie had been released in 2001 or 2002 it would actually be considered a classic of the oh
1: totally yeah, yeah I, I mean it, it i guess it does it does superhero stuff a little bit better than maybe the early 2000s mostly. i mean this is that that's the era of like daredevil and other uh, big swings and misses electra Electra. Yeah. Who could who could forget Electra? <laughs> we were I mean, trying we also to get
3: X-Men and Spider Man one, like the big hits and big misses. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I I also found this one it's totally watchable. I think it fails to be exciting in any particular way. That's I think it that's its its biggest detriment. Um mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've heard people describe it as the the first episode, like the the pilot of a TV series, and it does feel like that in a lot of different ways. Both um, in the limited amount of of plot that gets driven through the it's ninety minutes, as well as um, the production quality feels pretty low to me.
0: Yeah, it has mm-hmm. a very it has a very made for Netflix TV seri- uh, series feel to it. It's uh,
4: interesting though because it had such a troubled history right because they had it almost completed this movie and then fox hit a bunch of speed bumps and it got pushed from the calendar it was supposed to come out in i think 2017 or 2018 oh really yeah oh yeah wow it 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 had been filmed they were doing post production and they delayed it a year and that was till 2018 and then it got delayed again to 2019 and then it got delayed again till 2020 like oh it was supposed to open like the week of the pandemic starting it was it, it was moved so often that it got a reputation of uh, as the vaporware of <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah I was reading the Wikipedia I think it at least according to Wikipedia they had it mostly done and then it did really well. Uh, and they're like, oh, make it more of a horror movie. And then people who are already, you know, foot halfway out the door, um, had to talk them into coming back to finish it, make it more of a scary movie than a superhero action movie. Then the Fox Disney merger, complicated things. And then the pandemic complicated things. So this, um, this really didn't get a fair shake in that
4: regard. So. And when I saw it in the theater, I was like, oh my god, Anya Taylor-Joy is so young in this. Like, Mm -hmm. Queen's Gambit, and she's like two years older, and obviously so. And it's just like a time capsule. It was was buried under the clock tower until we could uh, experience it fully.
3: It was wild to watch the promo in the press for this, because there were definitely, like, you'd see interviews with the cast who were clearly struggling to remember when they were asked things about, like, what was it like on set? And they'd be like, ah, uh, yeah, like, I, I think it was good. Like, I don't, it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I want to, I want to rewind just a second to Liam's comment about how they saw that it did very well. And were like, yes, we want to chase it. We want to take our superhero action movie and chase after it a movie in a completely different genre what stroke of genius did that
4: <laughs> but it was already sort of a horror
3: movie yeah i think it was conceived as a horror but they wanted to lean into it more kind of thing they didn't do a very of, well, good job they did it. it
1: yeah that's what i was no? gonna say it's like they did a bad job because it doesn't feel like a horror at all <laughs> it
0: kind of yeah like and there's,
2: there's- there's nothing wrong with doing a, a mutant movie, like a superpowers movie, that isn't about a crime-fighting superhero team. I think there's definitely space for that. Um, but they didn't, yeah, didn't really go hard enough in the horror or hard enough in the team of superheroes. So.
0: Or or for that matter, into the wacky team, com- team comedy, because they were also trying to fit some wacky teen comedy stuff in there. Mm-hmm.
4: There's a lot that I actually really like about this. Like, I really like most of the cast. I think adding the LGBTQ romance in there actually works. You know, those two slow roll the the attraction pretty well. You know, it's just glances and, like, small interactions for most of the movie. And you sort of pick up on it, and it's actually nice.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I had my little list of good things, and those were, you, you nailed them. The casting, like, some of the actors are the perfect pe- like, look like they walked off the page. Some of them aren't, and we'll get to that, I'm sure. But, like, <laughs> some of that casting is is really, really spot on. And, yeah, that romance is really, really well done and well handled. I do like the general premise. Like, I like the idea of a superhero horror movie. I don't like the execution here, but I, I like that. Um, and I, I don't know if I would argue that that's the way to introduce the New Mutants to a larger audience, um, but it was clearly what they were trying to do. And I think on paper, it's a fun idea,
0: um,
3: regardless of how they executed
0: it. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely third that the cast is quite good. I, I liked, for the most part, the characters. And yeah, I had I had no notes in regards to, uh, to that.
2: Well, let's uh, let's go to the plot summary here and uh, get into a little more of what we liked, and uh, I have no doubt uh, more of what we didn't.
4: You're not alone, not anymore. Do you know what mutants are? Would anyone like to share their first time? Rain. I was 13. I thought it was a dream. I just lost
1: control. Sam? I started panicking. People got hurt. Roberto?
2: My girlfriend had burned hair.
1: Ileana? I killed 18 men. One by one. This isn't a hospital. It's a cage.
4: It's important we find out your your power, so we can help you get better. I saw something. I don't think she wanted me to see. I
0: don't think we're here to get better. After a mysterious tragedy leaves Danny Moonstar the sole survivor of her reservation, she wakes to find herself strapped to a bed in a totally normal hospital. Sure, there's only one doctor, or indeed, apparently, staff member, and sure, there are only four other patients, all of whom, like Danny, are vulnerable teenagers with uncontrollable mutant powers. And okay, maybe Dr. Reyes reports to a shadowy corporation. Also, there's a shield around the facility preventing any escape. All pretty standard hospital stuff. But what if I told you the Shadowy Corporation was evil, and they want to use the mutant teens as weapons? I just blew your hair back with that twist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is like one of those plot summaries where it's just like, I just basically wrote what I want to change about the movie into the plot (laughs) summary. because. (laughs) Like fun, fundamentally, like like I, I I wonder if this if the if the small scope of this movie was uh, an effort to keep the uh, uh the budget down. It felt like that a little bit. Um, it felt like they were trying to uh make this movie as as cheaply and quickly as imposs- as possible. Which is funny that took took such a long time to uh to make its way to to theaters. Um. But I, I think in in doing that, they've kind of undermined their own premise, uh, because at no point uh, am I ever shocked at any of the movie's revelations. Um, everything feels like pretty straightforward, um, uh, and and because there's uh, a limitation of how many people are reacting to the things that are going on. Even having, you know, just some regular people, some sort of like, you know, some hospital staff fodder for all the the dream nightmares that that are attacking. Um, That would at least up the stakes a little bit here and there. But because it's so empty, it just feels like it, it, you know, it undermines everything.
0: Yeah, I found it weird because at one point, a couple points, actually, they show that the kitchen is being staffed by Roberto. Like... (laughs) <laughs> it's There's literally no other staff at the hospital. There's just the kids and Dr. Reyes. And that seems, in hindsight, I didn't even really pick it up at the time. But in hindsight, that's really glaring.
3: Yeah. Well, and it, they never felt like they were really in danger. Like, it, the movie never felt like it had stakes. Because it's like, well, yeah, they're being held here against their will. By, like, one lady who doesn't seem that threatening. And, like, it kind of feels like at any point they could sort of put their heads together and, and take her down. And they do for a large chunk of the movie. They drug her tea or whatever, and just dick around <laughs> for a while. And it's like I don't really get the sense that you're in mortal peril here, which isn't great for a horror-inspired movie, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was almost like at that point, it's like, why didn't they just? Why don't you leave? You drunk? You 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 drugged her? You're like ah, just go. I guess they
3: don't know that the force field is is her mutant power. They maybe think it's in place whether she's asleep oh, or not. Oh, okay, that's fair. It's like. I also feel like the the horror premise would have been served better by, like, you know, a creepy old Victorian hospital setting rather than the one we got, which is, like, it's got all of this tech and she keeps, like, talking to an Alexa to lock doors and stuff. Mm, like, that yeah. feels like it doesn't, doesn't serve the atmosphere. So, like, having other staff might have helped with that. But instead, they're like, no, she just talks to the computer for everything. And that strips away a lot of the mystique of the, not, yeah, mystique in the...
1: Traditional sense, not in the X Men sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up because, like, they, 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 there's a lot of shots of, like, you know, the, the computers, like, uh, analyzing the, the mutants and stuff like that. And I felt like at no time did any of those, like, special effects shots enhance what was going on. Like, I was totally getting the vibe of a Danny was experiencing, like, some sort of, like, psychokinetic you know, mutant power or whatever. Like I was, I was picking that up and just on like what was shot and they didn't need mm-hmm. to add any of that computer stuff. And, and like, I feel like it, it also like took away from that corner kind of like creepy horror vibe that they seemed like they are going for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I will say, um, I did like the, I know that, that we are, we commented even in the little trailer summary there that, uh, it's pretty obvious that, She's working for an evil overlord. but And this might just be because I haven't watched a lot of the later X-Men movies, because I try not to watch movies that look terrible, uh, except for this <laughs> podcast. Uh, I had no idea who this corporation was, and I kind of liked that they were teasing that she might be working for Professor X. And then, oh, twist, she's actually working for this evil corporation.
2: Yeah, it was I, a bit of a twist for me, like like the lightest twist of like, oh, they're they're is
0: it is <laughs> like yeah. no, there was definitely something sinister going on, and I was picking up on that. So, but the fact that they were like teasing it might be the X Men, and then well, it's not okay. I'm not surprised, but I'm excited to find out who she's working for, and then. I'm just told that it's this group that apparently I need to watch another movie to mo- know more about. And Yeah, can interested.
2: can our X-Men super fans please explain to me who this organization is? Because my, my, my partner and I watched, and she's like, who's this company? I'm like, I don't know. I think it has something to do with Emma Frost. I don't know.
3: Uh, Mr. Sinister. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'll throw a doll off because you probably got uh, more deep lore knowledge than I do. But Nathaniel Essex is, uh, is Mr. Sinister.
4: Yeah, he's uh, a henchman of Apocalypse at various times. He's been... Um, genetically engineering people into other things. He's just a gen. Honestly, he's one of the villains I never really got into. You know, but
3: I was never a huge fan in the classic run. Uh, he is more exciting than he's ever been under the new uh, Krakoa era Hickman X Men comics. They have revamped him in the most delightful ways. He's my favorite. Uh, I never thought I'd say that, but he's so much fun. And it hurt that this movie teased his involvement in a way that is inscrutable to anyone who doesn't read the comics. Uh, <laughs> and then didn't, you know, they gave us the blandest version of Cecilia Reyes as a villain, which made no sense. Just the most uninteresting antagonist.
4: She's not a villain.
3: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And, and all the while teasing what could have been the most fun and interesting and charismatic villain. But no, none of that
0: for you. You get uh, this lady. <laughs> I, I feel like they might have gone with Reyes as the mini boss because that feeds into the idea that they're actually like being prepped to be X-Men, that she's working for Professor X because this character who people in the know would recognize as a hero is the yeah. doctor, and then twist. Oh, this version of Reyes is actually super evil and willing to do murder on teenagers, and is in fact working for Mister Sinister. I'll give them that, but then they gotta they gotta actually get to the fireworks factory and be
3: my <laughs> Mister Sinister by the end of it, because otherwise I I leave the movie very <laughs> bored.
1: <laughs> well, I think like it, you know the, the first time we see Reyes, I think sort of undercuts the mystery to me because they've locked Danny into a room and she's tied down to a bed and she has to like drag herself to the door and knock on it for someone to come and answer. And it's like, like, I guess like the conceit is supposed to be, Oh, they're, they're afraid of what she might do. So, so they're locking her in for her own safety, but she just kind of like walks in and, and isn't doesn't seem to be particularly afraid of Danny in any in any way. So my reading of that scene was that she was up to no good just because of like how the the elements that they put between the like the barriers that they put between uh, Danny and Reyes, right? And and the way that they constructed that scene. So I don't know, I think right off the hop they they were communicating maybe the wrong thing or, or showing their hand too early.
3: Absolutely, yeah. I watched this with Lena and we were talking a lot about the um, uh, my wife, Lena, um, talking about the the similarities between this and the very first X-Men movie where Danny in this movie, Wolverine in that movie, wake up in an X-Men facility, have no idea where they are and have to figure that out. And in the first X-Men, it's this beautiful scene where Hugh Jackman is wandering around the mansion, and he's hearing Patrick Stewart in his brain, and he's seeing inexplicable stuff, and he's wandering through the, like, more militarized parts, and then he gets out into the school, and there's kids, and he doesn't know what's going on, and it's all shot very, like, playfully, and the sound design is very fun. And then in this one, Danny wakes up and goes to the door... And then a lady walks in and they just sit on a couch and, and have an exposition scene with like no interesting camera work or cinematography of any kind. She just is like, well, here's what it is. You're in a you're in a facility and this is what it's all about. And like, boy, what a what a contrast.
4: And then the group therapy session where it's just an opportunity to have all of the characters there. We're going to introduce you to everybody all at once with just a series of land monologues like uh-huh. the original x-men they wander through and they introduce the characters one by one it's not here are the x-men storm explain your powers
1: cyclops
4: <laughs> what do you do like it's just so exposition heavy and tam hand.
3: They're following that old adage of tell, don't show. Everyone just talk about your powers, please. We can't afford to see them unless you're like, <laughs> chained to a cinder block and we can just animate it and like you don't interact
0: with anything or anyone in any way. They tell, don't show the entire movie, though. Because yeah. in addition to the scene where everybody sits down and tells everybody else what their powers are, there's also scenes where everybody sits down and tells each other what their trauma is. The, the movie yeah. doesn't give the audience the benefit of any doubt and you hit the nail on the head when you said it's all just shot with like shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot. It's the most boring exposition. It jumped out at me that it was because it was so boring and there was so much of it throughout the movie. The funniest thing about that group
3: therapy scene is that even after you realize like, Oh, this is what we're doing. They're just going to explain their powers at the camera she goes, Does anyone want to talk about the first time they use their powers? And everyone in the circle goes, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're gonna do a tell note show and also you're not gonna tell. No one no one even wants to talk in this scene. Great, fun for me, the audience.
4: I think there's a fundamental disconnect between the two tropes they're trying to emulate, right? Because yeah. I've got the the plot of a group of kids in a psych ward who are who have to rely on each other to get out and then you have the trope of the breakfast club where it's five or six different kids with very different backstories and traumas who are mean to each other at first and come to understand each other and the fact is the fa- because they start off mean to each other that arc is actually fighting with the like narratively fighting for space and fighting thematically with the escape and us against the the world trope that they're 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 on with the, the psych ward and the, the demon bear and the, the nightmarish shit they're they're experiencing. So those two tropes just don't work together.
0: And if we can discuss for a moment the being mean to one another,
4: if you want <laughs> mm-hmm. one of your
0: characters to be sympathetic and to have the audience rooting for them at the end of the film, maybe don't make them be super racist to one of the other characters early on. That's not a great way to develop. Er, sympathy.
4: Early on, continuously through the movie. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, my, my mistake. <laughs>
0: And if you want to,
3: you know, make another one of your characters sympathetic by showing her lived experience dealing with racism, you can make the villains do that racism to her. Yes. Yeah. You don't need to compromise one of your other protagonists. You can, you can have her experience that from an external source, maybe. Maybe,
0: maybe uh, if there was more staff at the facility, like some <laughs> orderlies racist racist or, a, or yeah. a cook or some <laughs> guards who could be racist, you wouldn't need to make one of your protagonists racist. Oh, boy. Yeah.
3: I, th- I was gonna say, like, I think there's some a couple of obvious problems we can probably I'm assuming we can all agree on at the gate that like, that there may be less interesting to talk about. Maybe not. Maybe people have this in their fixes. But like, the overt racism, and then the whitewashing controversies around a couple of the characters, Roberto and Cecilia, are probably things that we can all agree that like, hey, do that better. Don't sure, yeah. don't have one of your characters be overtly racist. Cast actors with, you know, the the relevant background to the role you're and the character you're trying to portray in the story you're trying to tell. Like, I feel like we could probably all just be like, "Kate, check that note off. I don't know.
4: Can, can I just also throw it out there that this isn't even interesting racism. It's no. boring ass racism. It's unimaginative racism. It is like some white dude thinking, I wonder how somebody with darker skin experiences racism. I know we're going to do the most overt, most like one note racial epithets. Mm
2: -hmm. Like
4: it is boring ass racism that doesn't understand anything about it.
0: Especially because you have it. And this might just be me speaking as a Canadian. You have histories of residential schools and With Danny's character, you can really, like, see that kind of as almost like an unconscious subthread with her being in this facility. And so you could have really explored racism in an interesting way with systemic racism by having the staff be racist to her in really passive-aggressive ways. And that's not like that's it's it's such low hanging fruit and again that might be because i'm canadian and i'm i'm aware of that terrible history and so it's it's kind of just leapt out at me but like that was that was right there it was right there and and they could have done something interesting with it and nah I,
1: like on the other side of it like on the on anya taylor joy's character's side like the like the racism doesn't it doesn't really inform her character in any particular way. And I think that's part of what makes it so egregious. Like, like you, like it could be that like she lashes out like that, you know, because of she's got underlying issues that uh, make her just say things to want to hurt people. So she might say, she might say something racist, but like you could also have her say other things getting really, really personal with other people in different ways so that it's not just, Not just her being a racist, but just like her just like trying to hurt people in some way and trying to push them away or something like that. Something that like gives that character a little bit more depth. Right. And I think like she could
3: maybe have an arc and like (laughs) learn something. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Especially (laughs) because
2: the X Men are famously an allegory for marginalized people. Like, don't, (laughs) don't,
1: don't add that and then half ass it. Yeah but this is like a larger problem with with most of the character development that i feel like is sometimes almost straight up backwards like why is roberto's character a horn dog like his his whole tragedy is that he hurts someone by being intimate with them like he should have intimacy issues like that mm-hmm. should mm-hmm. be his thing, but instead, like he's oh my, like yeah. a big horn dog who gets into the pool and starts making out with someone at the drop of a hat. It's so weird, and like, and then in the space of that scene, you ha- he, they have to turn around and make him have intimacy issues in the middle of all that. Like, it's such a it's such I I didn't even realize
2: th- the incongruity of that. Yeah, <laughs> that he's like, <laughs> I can't touch. Like, he's, he's he's got um rogue problems, right? Like he you know he yeah. can't touch the person he loves. But yet he wants to fuck everything that moves. Like it's like pick one. Like <laughs> that's also Olaf. Can you speak to like
3: is that in the comics anywhere? I'm not as I was a big X Men kid, but not as big of a New Mutants kid. So uh, he's that character is one of my blind spots. Like it, does he have rogue problems where he can't
2: be Bl- blind spots? My favorite X Men. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Blindfold okay, is an X Men. Been- you're not far. <laughs> far it has been
4: thirty years since I read these comics. So just proviso there. I do not call him having any such issues.
3: I, like, in the bit that I read in preparation for this episode, I just kind of read, like, the Demon Bear arc and some other uh, related errata, and like, yeah, I didn't I didn't see any indication of that. His main power isn't even really, like, flame-based. It's more like repurposing solar energy into physical strength and, like, yeah. also some, some cool fire stuff if he feels like it, but... <laughs> It's it's definitely like the side thing, at least in the issues that I had read.
4: Guthrie was the character they got the most right. Yeah, yeah, like just flat out, these writers were white dudes, uh, very white, very dudely, and so the one character in the movie who's a white dude is the one they understood.
1: Right. Yeah, which
3: is funny because it's the one they that I least understood, just from a <laughs> dialect perspective. <laughs> <laughs> could not uh, make it through that garbled southern accent sometimes
1: I, fa- I did feel like Rain worked for the most part um, oh yeah yeah yeah. she was great and, and like you guys said earlier like that relationship between her and Danny largely worked and was kind of the strongest
4: part of the movie because they were nice to each other from the get go yeah when it's you against the world you need your characters to bond quickly yeah
0: and they bond quickly and then their their relationship kind of blossoms around that, and it, it does work, yeah.
3: Whereas with Ileana and Roberto, it kind of just feels like at different points in the movie, the hostility between the characters is whatever the writers felt like it should be at the moment sure. without earning any sort of change. Like, they'll go and hang out and have a fun breakfast club time in the attic, and then they'll be back at each other's
0: throats, and it doesn't feel like any of it is motivated, really. There's um, there's total whiplash like that throughout the movie though because there's one point where uh they're having one of their their therapy sessions and sam is like uh i had this weird nightmarish experience last night and dr reyes is like you need to calm down sam and he's like you're not listening to me and storms away and then like a minute later he's partying with the other kids (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's like weren't you angry like one minute ago
4: (laughs) can can i just mention that it strikes me This is the first superhero movie from a major studio, from a major property, that features an indigenous protagonist. Mm -hmm. The first superhero movie from a major studio, uh, like one of the big superhero franchises. And it's the first with an LGBTQ protagonist.
3: Yeah, I yeah, wish they deserved a better movie. Danny deserved a better
4: movie to be in. <laughs> they should have hired Jamaki Highwater as an indigenous consultant.
2: Uh what would be their um bona fides that would have oh, you suggest that?
4: That's a joke. He was the indigenous no. consultant on Voyager. <laughs> 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 apparently you if you know, you know, got <laughs> exposed as not being indigenous after yeah. years of working on that show.
3: Ooh, wowzers. Oh, wowzers. Hey. I do have to jump back a little bit and, and lightly correct you, Scott. He didn't have terrible nightmarish visions. He had terrible nightmares. It was the worst <laughs> moment in his accent. And it, uh, we lost it in watching that, that scene. Like I was saying that he's, he did like three different Southern accents. It's like he, he knew he was supposed to be Southern, but whether that was like, like a kind of redneck hillbilly Southern, or like a foghorn leghorn Southern, or like like he just kind of picked and chose scene to scene what kind of Southern he decided he was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have a, a nitpick. That's uh, a bit of a long walk, if you'll permit me. Sure, uh, yeah. So, okay. So the first time we see Rain is uh, when she's peering through the vents. Uh, when Danny is tied down to the hospital bed, right? when she first awakes, that's the first person she sees in the vent. Yeah. Um, then we get a reminder of uh, her knowledge of the vents, right when they crawl through the vents and go outside and and uh, have that little sort of a like, uh, romantic period, right? So set up reminder. Great. And then there's this scene where Dr. Reyes is sort of like, She's got Danny in a operating room, and she's just sort of, like, revealing the whole nefarious plot. And instead of having Rain crawl through the vents to sort of overhear things to ignite that payoff, she just uses her, like, super dog ears or whatever and like for some reason that bugged me like if you had set that up and then reminded and then like the the payoff should have been just like she went in she went into the vents to see what was going on in the operating room because she was suspicious of dr reyes and then she, she would overhear the whole thing and then she would drop in and attack
0: dr reyes right to be fair she did go through the vents to she attack does dr. do that but, yeah. <laughs> but you feel like they there should have been more to that yeah
1: yeah yeah, it just like it just it just seemed like it just seemed like that's just the, the easy way, rather than her just being sort of like randomly in the hallway and then using using a power that we hadn't seen before, just sort of like conveniently, it could have just been like nicely tied together, just boom, boom, boom. It
3: feels so obvious that now I'm wondering, like, oh, was that a reshoot? Like, was that a bad studio note where they were like, we don't see them using their powers enough. You need to add in some parts where they use their powers more. Oh, that's and certainly And they kind possible, of perfectly yeah. serviceable beat in the vents to to do that, maybe? I don't know. I'm speculating.
1: <laughs> it just seems like, that, like it's also an opportunity to ramp up a little tension where you have Rain crawling, trying to be discreet through the vents to hear what's going on, rather than her just standing in a hallway. Like, that's not interesting, <laughs> you know? And there's so much about this movie's style that was not interesting to me. I think, like, usually with, it, with most movies, you can figure out within about the first couple shots whether the film has any particular style or not. And I knew right away, like, I was like, I'm not in for something that's, like, particularly good here. <laughs> like, everything's, like... You know, when you're when you're seeing everything at flat angles and things like that, like it's not you're just not really in for a good time visually. And like, that's usually an indication that the director is not thinking about things on a a high level and you're probably not going to get a lot of great setups and payoffs. And uh, that's basically what happened. I
2: I know I wasn't going to say much for this one, but just to speak to the no style, uh, Josh Boone, his other big movie claim to fame is A Fault in Our Stars. Has anyone seen that film? Anyone familiar? Nope. I wouldn't expect you to be because it's a a teen movie about two kids with cancer, um, and it is very much like it's a it's adapted from a, a Hank Green YA novel, and it's been almost a decade since I saw it because I actually saw it in theaters. The person I was dating at the time was really into it. Um, from what I remember, it's actually like a fairly nice like rom- teen romance movie with like sad undertones, but there is nothing interesting about the way it's shot, and so I think. I think they brought this guy on because he knows how to do YA adaptations and how to like make a teen movie, but like nobody has uh you know nobody has nightmare powers in a fault in our stars. So like I don't think he knew how to like handle CGI superhero action. He knew how to make dramatic teens and I think that's reflected in the fairly like work a day um shooting style that this movie is presented in. Like you said, shot, reverse shot. Like,
0: yeah, there is a moment in this movie where magic erupts out of a portal with a blazing sword and cuts down a whole bunch of smiling monsters. And it's mostly seen from behind a fence on a stairwell. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Like that is, that is the level of visual. Uh, competence that we're working with here is that the one of them one of the most exciting action beats in the movie is mostly obscured
2: <laughs> yeah
0: um, well, uh, i think uh this
2: is a great time then to to get into our fixes for this especially with our our you know we've, we've all shared our thoughts but i want to hear robin and Olaf's pitch on how they would fix this i want to hear scott and greg's pitch on how they would fix it i will decide if this is the movie <laughs> i want to see um and uh yeah we'll we'll uh get into that after we hear from our friends at the alberta podcast network
0: This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca.
2: Welcome back to I Have Some Notes, we're talking new mutants, and for our fixes on this episode, we are doing it tag team style, uh, where Olav and Robin are going to share their pitches, find a way to uh, meld them, uh, get them working together, hopefully, we'll see, you know, this is an experiment, <laughs> much much like the weird, uh, uh, much like the Weapon X program, this is just a bunch of weird experiments, Um <laughs> Uh, so we'll hear from uh, Olav and Robin first, and then uh, Greg and Scott can come in with their pitches, uh, see if they can uh, meld their ideas. Uh, obviously they get a little bit of a they get a little more extra time going second. let's call that home court advantage., um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, when we kick it off, uh, Olev, what how do you how do you see this movie getting fixed?
4: Well, the first thing I think is really obvious. Uh, it needs to be a musical, um of course. <laughs> No, but more seriously, I think cut it down from two villains to one. Get rid of either uh, the Mr. Sinister, Cecilia Reyes thing, or the demon bear. It's one or the other. Don't have us guessing, are they aligned, are they not aligned, what the hell's going on. And I think is what you what you kill from this movie. Yeah,
3: that makes a lot of sense, um, because that is a big part of, like, the the disparate villains feel like they, like, you have one plot about this institution holding these kids captive, and you have another plot about Danny's powers being out of control and manifesting this monster, and they don't really Seinfeld their way together like the director maybe wanted them to, where the A plot and the B plot become the the same thing. Like, they just Mm -hmm. sort of... One, one plot literally eats the other one now that I think about it <laughs> it does they don't marry at all one plot chows down on the other one and is like it's about this now
4: <laughs> then get rid of the third villain which is the kids fighting each other. Like, yes hard agree like just have one villain and no more which which one would you keep Raya's sinister and actually have sinister show up <laughs> you wait are oh, you
3: Reading my mind, like Professor
2: X. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I I love that uh, everything you've laid out there so far. For me, the main issues with this uh, with this movie, I think there's a tone problem. The movie can't seem to decide if it's a coming of age John Hughes flick or a straight up horror movie. Uh, I think the setting. It's interesting to set a superhero movie all in one location. But boy, was it the most boring. Like, there was nothing going on. There was nothing interesting about where we were. And I would have loved to take advantage of that more. You're in a a mental institution of some sort. It could have been really creepy. It could have been really fun. And it was really uh, a little bland. Our villain was similarly bland. Um, We need some excitement there. Um, And these the twists that they tried to set up both the twist of the, the sinister corporation that they're working for, uh, and the twist of like, are these monsters being caused by what are Danny's powers and wh- how are these nightmares happening? Like both of them, I felt like you could see a mile out. Um, or at the very least, once you got there, it felt kind of obvious in retrospect. Uh, and I feel like I got a pitch that addresses all of these things. Um, but I don't want to steamroll yours all oh, up. Did you have more more things before I, I, I jump do, in?
4: I do. So oh, good. I think you keep the location.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You
4: keep it in this hospital. But you lean in to the minister sinister stuff. You lean in mm-hmm. to the deep fake out of you think it's at Professor X. Make it seem less sinister in the first quarter. It's a hospital. Mm. You don't have the lead-in of the demon berry, don't have the lead-in of how she got there. Opening scene is she wakes up in the hospital. Yes. She's caused damage. Everybody knows she's caused damage. And she wants to get better. And so she's not locked in there. She doesn't think she's locked in. And it seems like it is a good charitable organization But then she meets somebody else, maybe Rain is the first one, and she sort of finds out, oh, well, other people here are trapped. And then it's just, have have the sinisterness slowly creep into the movie. And then the setting also turns out to have a lot of hidden passageways, underground lairs, big secret super science base
0: yeah make it fun.
4: make it fun.
0: <laughs> I like that you start out not sinister and then it becomes more sinister as we get closer to Mr. Sinister. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to
3: talk about Mr. Sinister without name dropping him constantly, and he would love that. so um, I have a bit of a reverse on this pitch, so i'm I'm excited to hear the rest of it here because I I might uh, I might have an alternate angle on this, but I want to hear the
4: rest of your thoughts. Oh. I actually think that the ending isn't that they have a big punch-up battle. It's that they actually escape. Leave Sinister yeah. out there for the third part in the, the New Mutants trilogy. He's <laughs> that, villain that. in the first one, and the big climactic battle with him is in the third one. You see him in the first one, but their only big accomplishment in the first one is getting the fuck out of there. So,
0: Hold on, and I realize that I'm I'm on the wrong team here. China. <laughs> in, like, mm-hmm. but you're you're basically pitching like a prison break movie, a superhero prison break movie. They don't use their powers to have a drag out fight with the main boss. They use their powers cleverly to break out of their prison. Yeah,
2: yeah, and awesome. if there were more, if there were more people and more secret tunnels and interesting forms of entrapment you could have more interesting forms
0: of prison break. Yeah. And I've never seen that. That's awesome. Sure. That's a great idea. I t- kind of Deadpool 2, but yeah. I suppose, yeah, a little bit. If you squint.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it's got that horror flavor to it too, which I think separates it from Deadpool 2, made it a lot more about the action and the prison prison riot stuff. And yeah, I love that. That's that's a fantastic pitch. Uh, I have I have an alternate angle on part of it. <laughs>
2: Hit us. Give it to us.
3: Um, my my feeling on this is is you flip the script a little bit because um, I I do agree that like that twist of of who they're working for needs to be handled better. One way is to really go in on make the place actually feel warm and welcoming out of the gate instead of what they did in the movie is it, you know pretty obvious it's going to flip on you. Um, the other way is you lean into the horror. Right out of the gate, she wakes up, she's she's a prisoner, no one's trying to explain how this is actually a nice place where she's going to be taken care of. She's she's shackled, Also, are the rest of them, they're all there against their will, no one will tell them why, they're being experimented on, they're being pushed and tested. Um, I would like the villain to be someone, I mean, more interesting, but like our, our mid-level villain before we get to who's pulling all the strings... Uh, to not be Cecilia Rays. That's not who she is in the comics. It doesn't feel like they're doing her right. Um, it does still need to be someone sort of morally ambiguous and who you don't quite know what's going on with them. And I'm a big Emma Frost fan. I've been wanting to see her done well. Uh, they've done her badly twice. Um, so that's my vote. But you it's the X-Men. You've got a pantheon of morally gray characters that you could put in this role. Uh, I specifically like Emma Frost uh, because she's got mind powers, tele- telepathy. She can mess with people's heads. I think rather than physical barriers to them leaving, um, maybe some of that as well, but like lots of messing with their heads, messing with their minds. Every time they try to leave, they end up back where they started and they don't quite know how or why. Um, Then if you want to do this stuff with Danny's power and trying to figure out what's going on there, um, because that also felt very obvious to me from a ways out, I think you lean into the, the horror. There's supernatural stuff going on and the kids are trying to figure out whether it's, is this place haunted or is Emma Frost or the whoever the person running it is uh, fucking with us? Are they messing with our minds? Is this all part of a test? Who can we trust? What's happening? How do we even know what's real and what's not real? Mm. Um, you make that the question. So then if you want to have a twist that surprised it was Danny's powers all along, like maybe they really think her power is something physical. She survived the storm. They assume she's got increased endurance or durability of some kind, and they really lean into that. And uh, and then we find out later that it is in fact a dream-based power. But like they're they're throwing stuff at her in the tests. They're trying to put her in physical danger, hoping she'll manifest some sort of defense or physical ability. Maybe that's how you have the kids actually bond and feel like they love, they like care about each other. Is that she keeps getting put in harm's way, and the other kids have to come together to help her and help each other survive this torture. Um, anyways, my, my big pitch here is that after leaning into the horror element the whole time, you think from the start that they're in some sinister institution that's run by the Essex corporation or whatever, the reveal partway through, sorry, I'm missing one thing. Um, one of the characters has to be a big X-Men fan. Uh, they know about, there's this team of famous super mutants and the X-Men will come and save us. I believe that the X-Men are coming. We just got to get word out to them. The whole second act of the movie is the kids trying to get word to the X-Men to come and rescue them. Um, and then the twist partway through is that this school is in fact run by the Xavier Institute. You get, you get the reverse twist. It's been under Professor (laughs) X's purview all along. Maybe if you don't want to completely make your heroes morally bankrupt, it's a thing that he set up and then has been since perverted. Emma Frost has taken control and maybe, like, made it a little more fucked up. But he's still culpable in some way. My favorite X-Men stories are when we question Professor X's motives and see some of the shadier dealings that he's been involved in. And I think the
0: the the gulf between him and Magneto is, after all, not very far. It's a razor thin
4: <laughs> the danger room. The danger room went sentient. Remember that yeah, story arc?
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Astonishing. Love that arc. I feel like that could potentially be a thing. And like, I, I could, I could believe him setting up an Institute for the mutants that they deem dangerous, that they think are, are too dangerous to be in the regular X-Men school. We've got this special facility for the dangerous mutants. And then, you know, he's busy fighting his whole war and and trying to, you know, protect people who hate and fear them and whatnot. He doesn't really keep a close enough eye on this and and nefarious uh, powers take over. Um, but I love the idea of sort of subverting and questioning the idea of Professor X and the X-Men in what would turn out to be the final movie of this franchise, Have have something to say about all of it. Um, and maybe then you keep that prison break aspect and they, their whole thing is just to get out of here and their arc is realizing that they can, they can be heroes in their own right and save themselves. They don't need the X-Men, uh, to come and save them. They can be their own. They can be the new mutants.
2: That's my pitch. (laughs) Um, I, I actually can, having listened to you both, I can actually see how you could marry these two really easily. Actually, you can have everything you've both pitched, but Mm -hmm. I kind of don't want to talk about it because I want to hear what Greg and Scott have. So if our listeners can just keep everything Eleven and Robin have pitched, I, I will tie it together, but I don't want to give Greg and Scott any ideas.
4: So.
1: <laughs> well, well, Scott, you had mentioned that you have a fix for the end. So I think I can take the beginning if you want me to go. Sure. Okay, so I, I, I think the first thing right at the outset is that um, uh, we need a bit more time with um danny's father to strengthen that relationship because he his his advice to her is fairly important that the 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 idea of the the two bears is sort of like the 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 anger and the sort of light side of it or and i i think that right off the top we get kind of more of like um uh instead of it cold open with a big action beat We just kind of meet Danny, who's just like a a run-of-the-mill teenager with teenager problems. You know, it could be something as simple as um, she wants to leave home in some fashion or whatever. She feels trapped uh, by her father because her father wants something different for her. Um, She wants to uh, break out of some role, like some traditional family roles or whatever they might be. I'm not really sure. haven't really developed it that far, but in any case that she's she feels she feels trapped in in her community some way. And the reason I want to do it that way is because I want to be able to marry her her problems with um, Anya Taylor Joy's problems with Alia's problems because while she feels sort of like metaphorically trapped, uh, Ileana and her history is like being literally trapped by people, and that, so I want I want to make to make sure that they kind of like align up because I feel like the conflict between them can drive the rest of the plot. Because when we get to the hospital, um, you know, as things sort of like develop um, with the dream sequences getting more and more intense. I think the the easiest thing to do is to have Dr. Reyes like ramping up her telekinetic powers on purpose just to sort of like let's see what happens, let's see what you know see what she can do kind of thing. and it be, mm-hmm. sort of becomes more and more obvious to the other new mutants that Danny is the one that's causing this and is becoming increasingly dangerous and that's what sort of sets the conflict up between them, right. And she's ha- Danny's having to like you know her arc is basically having to come to terms with her her anger and things like that um, that she that she holds internally and that comes to a head with the conflict between all of her peers right yes <laughs> and I think like I think an interesting way that you can have you can have Danny and Ileana's relationship actually kind of soften a bit is you, you, there's that scene where um, Ileana gets put into solitaire for the last time
4: mm-hmm.
1: and um they they make a point of showing that like she's brought her sort of i don't know if it's like what is what would this be considered like a therapy puppet what would you yeah, consider emotional that support, emotional yeah. support yeah yeah and i think that i think the best way to do it would be just sort of like have reyes take the puppet away from her when she throws her in solitaire And then, uh, at some point... Sorry, I keep
2: saying solitary. I think it's solitary. Solitary, Solitary. sorry.
1: It's not a game. It's not the game of solitaire. (laughs) I was going to let the first one slide, but you said it twice. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and... uh, Danny, like when, when the puppet is taken away, um, in an act of kindness, Danny goes to Dr. Reyes office and actually steals it. And then later on in the film, like Ileana finds out that Danny had stolen it back from Reyes to give it back to her. And that's sort of like where Anya Taylor, or Ileana starts to like soften her position on who Danny is and, and wants to, you know, help her out.
0: I really like the idea of Reyes purposefully... Uh pushing Danny's powers and making them manifest more and more aggressively to test them. Uh, because A, she's obviously our villain in this setup. And B, it's interesting if that's not obvious at first. And so it really does seem like Danny is dangerously out of control, and Reyes can kind of buy, like, subtly be suggesting that so that Danny has that self doubt, and the other mutants can believe that for a while, and then the big reveal, of course, is that Reyes has been doing this on purpose to test her. Um, my, my fix, my big problem with the third act is the demon bear. Um, and I think that the reason why it doesn't work for me is because throughout the movie, Danny, when she's when she's scared, when she's angry, when she's emotional, she's lashing out and manifesting other people's fears. And then when magic attacks her, she instinctively uh like reflects magic's fear back at her. And that's what like causes her to back off. And then she gets knocked out by Dr. Reyes. Um, but then when she's being attacked and killed by Dr. Reyes, her, her own fear manifests itself and then tries to mm-hmm. kill her. And that does, that does not make sense to me at all. And it doesn't, work. What should have happened is Dr. Reyes's fear should have attacked them at that point. And I think you can set that up in one of the earlier therapy sessions. Dr. Reyes, because she's needling Danny about her powers, can try to get the kids to talk about the things they're afraid of. And then when, because they're all sulky teenagers and nobody wants to share, she shares first and reveals she has some really dumb fear. She's afraid of clowns. I don't know. That's just <laughs> off the top of my head because we were talking about it earlier. And the kids can all have a laugh at it, and, and it's just like, it seems like a throwaway joke so that when in the third act Danny lashes out at her it manifests her fear and what seems like a dopey fear in the first act is actually terrifying and monstrous and it kills Reyes and saves them but then it's out of control and it starts to attack them and that's their big third act fight is trying to conquer Reyes' fear and how does Danny finally conquer Reyes' fear? By manifesting her fear and controlling it and that's when you get the bear show up and the bear is the big damn hero who saves the day at that point Yeah, because like the bear's
2: never a threat it's, Yeah, because
0: yeah. now she has mastered her own fear and she's using it to, to defeat the final boss at that point yeah. There's your big third act reveal
3: Oh, I'm angry so at so much better than what they did because you're yes. right that that made no sense. Um. Exactly.
2: Also, if she's afraid of clowns, whatever studio dipshit was like, make this more like it. There you go. I just pulled clown yeah, off like the top of
0: I just pulled that off the top of my head. But I like the idea of it being something seemingly innocuous, so it looks like it's a joke, and the kids can all have a laugh about it. And then when it shows up scary in the third act. There's like your big pow moment and it's like, oh, that's actually terrifying.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Can I actually pitch what it is? Because when we we're when I was watching this, I'm not familiar with any of these things. But at one point, like the demon bear is coming through the wall. I forget where it is in the movie. And I leaned over to Amanda and I was like, is this a sentinel coming to get them?
0: Oh, oh no, it's the demon yeah. bear. So mm-hmm. what
2: if Reyes was like around for the sentinel
0: days? Mm-hmm. That's great. That's awesome. I love that. And you get and a, then a, you bear have a fighting a sentinel. And you have final, a, giant, ah! a giant demon bear fighting a sentinel. That would be awesome. <laughs> and a sentinel's a really like recognizable X-Men threat. They're famously good at shutting down mutants, so you have the rest of the group having trouble against it. Mm-hmm. Like, that that works. That makes sense. I realize Liam just cheated and pitched us something. But <laughs> then, <laughs> that, that really does dude. work.
2: Yeah. But I want to
4: hear from Olaf. Can I change uh, our joint pitch slightly so that... They initially think that it's sinister who has them. Like, Mm -hmm. they they keep... Like, they actually... I like the idea of it starting fun and happy to begin with, because then you get fun scenes of the bunch of them, you know, playing with their powers, like, actually getting to know each other in that first quarter. But then they start to think it's sinister, and the big reveal is that it is the Sentinels.
0: Ooh, interesting. That works, too.
4: And... I, I sort of feel like if we went with the prison break version, the more yeah. I think about it, the more I think this is the wrong team. Okay. This is the wrong team to have trapped, because Cannonball is a wrecking house, wrecking ball. He is a house. He he will, like, he can destroy stuff. You got to yeah. get Cipher in there. <laughs>
3: Ooh, dude who can uh, understand any language in, in, intuitively. Yeah, that's a fun person to have in that in that particular setting. Yeah,
4: yeah, like warlock, like not yeah. these like powerhouse characters. Karma, like karma is not the sort of character who's going to win in a fist fight. Yeah, but who can sort of help maybe do the subtle stuff. To actually get them out of prison,
3: because we've also seen those. We've seen the powerhouses. We've seen the X Men movies. We've had our big CGI, and clearly they didn't have the budget to do a big CGI showdown. So don't do it. Show us interesting uses for subtler powers.
2: Subtle meetings, yeah, uh, that's very cool. Um, I, I I wanna I wanna pitch my pitch to Robin and Olav because you guys were talking. about, You know, so it's 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 a Horror, you know, one part horror movie, one part prison break, mm-hmm. with twists on twists, makes you think it's uh, Professor X in Robin's version. It is revealed to actually be Mr. Sinister, and we get to see him in Olav's version. Uh, I'd actually, I think you can have it both ways. If you kind of follow this, I don't want to say like rip off, but like the thing, what you were describing reminds me of my one of my recent favorite movies that is a horror prison baked movie with twists on twists and twists, 10 Cloverfield lane. Yep. Where you, that whole movie's So good. I don't want to spoil it, but like not only are there multiple twists, but they like, they make you, they make you think it's either one thing or another. And then you eventually realize it's both. And I think with what you're saying here, it starts off kind of creepy. You're not sure what's happening. Oh fuck. Is this, is this a a a, prof- a morally gray professor X experiment gone wrong? Oh, it's not. Oh, it is. Mr. Sinister had, like instead of Emma Frost, it's like it is Mr. Sinister he was put in charge of it. Yeah. Um Yeah, so and 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 that has like so that, that movie has so many great reveals and twists and tension uh of like someone waking up and not knowing where they are or who they can trust. Is this a place of help? Is this a place of pain? kind of turns out it's both um that's that's sort of my how you marry your guys idea is like you never truly know what's up until the very end and then it is an escape
4: john goodman deserved an academy award nomination for that i will die on this hill
0: yeah yeah,
2: yeah, excellent
1: so, yeah. movie. We'll never ten, be on this Clover podcast. Field Lane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ten Cloverfield Lane is is one of my favorite movies of all time. Honestly,
2: it's brilliant. So, yeah. whatever. As you guys were talking, I was just like, this, "This is Ten Cloverfield Lane." This what you're describing is Ten Cloverfield Lane. Uh, of that, yeah, that that misplaced trust, uh, and yeah, you can have a little. You could you could superpower and Breakfast Club up Ten Field Ten Cloverfield Lane. So,
3: absolutely, yeah, I think that's the. That's the crux of it for sure.
2: Uh, and one of the things I like about Scott and Greg's of this, like, what, what, I forget which one of you are saying it, but this, like, kind of cr- amping up uh, of the the tension and the torture uh, and the duress that she's under. One, my f- truly affecting movie scenes was the scene in the first Deadpool when he deprives him of oxygen, and he's like, "I'm gone for the long weekend later." Like that really, I'm like, oh my god, that's a fucking nightmare. That's kind of what that was. So, I'm seeing in your guys's, I'm seeing shades of Deadpool, and uh, your guys have <laughs> seeing shades of Ten Cloverfield Lane. Um, any other, any other pitches, any other ideas we wanted to spit out? Nah, I, I, I think feel we're like ready that's- for a
1: judgment call.
2: Um, so I actually was going to sort of jokingly say my, my plan this whole time was to be like, well, no one pitched what I wanted to see, which was just put Deadpool in it. Um, <laughs> Deadpool should be here cause I love Deadpool. Um, I, I think if they can pull it off with the, the more subtle mutants, um, and the prison break element and doing twists that aren't seen from a mile away, like, I guess I'm saying if you've got the t- the creative writing team behind it, a good director, a good writer, um, someone who, uh, uh, not necessarily a budget, but like, okay, if you've got the the creative bona fides to back it up, my vote is Olav and, and uh, Robin. If you're just making a, a superhero blockbuster movie, with a big CGI budget, uh, I think it's Greg and Scott. Because
0: again, then it ends with a, a bear fighting a sentinel. Here's um, here's <laughs> how he, we can we can all win this.
1: Yes, Ol- love
0: it. <laughs> Olive and Robin's movie is the first movie they do mm-hmm. a prison break. Uh, the person who's in charge of the prison then is after them in the second movie, and they're on the run, and it's like an uh, on-the-road running movie. And then that leads up to that big third-act fight with the, with the Nightmare Sentinel, and Danny finally con- getting control of her powers is like the second part of the arc. It's it's the second movie, and she unleashes the demon bear on the Sentinel. You get your big, your big blowout fight in the second movie. Third
2: movie has Mr.
0: Sinister in it. Boom, we all win.
2: And yeah, the third movie's almost more of just a straight-up X-Men. Now they are an X-Men team, and they go fight Mr. Sinister. And they go get
0: Mr. Sinister. There's On Arcades trilogy.
2: Island or something Boom. stupid, yeah.
0: Oh, We my did God. it. We, did. we all get like, to win. <laughs> like,
3: every comic book battle, like, Batman v. Superman before us, we ended up teaming up in the end.
4: <laughs> it's going to be written by Simon Klingberg and directed by Mick G. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you said good. You said good. amazing then i
3: give it to the robot bear robot fighting the bear at least it's fun
2: (laughs) (laughs) very cool i'm glad this worked out that was a lot of fun guys Uh, and yeah we not only do we fix this movie but we fix two movies that don't exist (laughs) Uh,
1: and we get a whole trilogy
2: out of it um and oh no! The Disney Fox merger just went through. We don't get our other two movies. <laughs> 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 oh shit! A pandemic hit. Oh, we got to bump this back
4: up six months. Uh, <laughs> sweet. Oh, we should. You should put this podcast in the can, uh, and then release it like two years from now. <laughs> we, that would be very funny. I was thinking, like,
2: we had some brief technical troubles earlier. I don't think it's going to show up in the episode. Um, but if this, for some reason, becomes the last episode, then yeah, we could just be like, "Oh, it's been to production delays." I tell you, new Mutants, <laughs> the the I have some notes. New mutant episode never is going to come out. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious! Uh, obviously, we had lots of great thoughts uh, about this, but so did you, our listeners. Thank you to everyone who commented. Uh, We we love it when you uh, give us your thoughts, gives us something to read, perspectives we hadn't considered, especially as we said off the top, we are five white dudes. We've got our blind spots, my favorite Uh, (laughs) X-Men. So let's go to listener comments now robin from cinematological says what a mess rewrite the whole thing around the kids trapped in an asylum unable to tell what's real because they have been drugged have iliana figure it out because lockheed comes to her and is real because she is insane from being trapped in limbo as a child
0: we didn't really have any notes about lockheed what was everybody's feeling on that
3: I would have liked him to be a dragon the whole time and not just a little bit at the end, maybe kind of. It, yeah, that was unclear if too. that was real or a dream. But um, yeah, I, I I like Lockheed. I would like him to just be an alien dragon like he is and not a metaphor for trauma or whatever
4: that they tried to use him for. <laughs> I'm 100% on board with the puppet. Okay, fair but enough. Th- the alien dragon takes too much explanation. For a two-hour movie.
3: This is true, but so did her armor and her sword, and that didn't stop them from throwing that in. That's
2: sweet. Um, Yeah, I also... Last thing I saw Anna Taylor-Joy in was uh, Last Night in Soho, and I'm like, does she always play victims of sexual violence? Like, is that her steez? I... I I It was handled
3: so poorly it was so muddled that I couldn't actually like it wasn't until talking about it afterwards with lena that I was like oh that was what they were trying to oh god oh okay. yeah just
2: the men smile will I cry yeah
3: yeah uh, i didn't yeah. didn't totally put together what was happening there until afterwards and then was like oh I guess I should she, have but also yeah, she woof. Was
2: sex trafficked was the was the implication yeah um so also, the I do the, okay. So the masks of the like the the kind of DJ Marshmallow looking masks that those, uh, faceless rapists had, um, did look. I this is a weird note, but did look cooler than the faceless rapists in uh I uh last night in Soho. So, yes, you know, yeah, low bar, but yes, <laughs> yeah. <low bar.
1: laughs>
2: Uh, Muncy says, keep as much of the Sam, Beto, and Rain, Danny interpersonal stuff as you can. If That mostly works, and make Ileana less inexplicably racist, and have the third act be discovering the truth of escaping from the sinister boarding school. Save the Demon Bear material for the sequel.
0: There, Muncy hit upon the same thing that we decided on. You have the prison break in the first movie, you have the Demon Bear in the second movie fighting a sentinel. Muncy didn't get there. We got to that one. <laughs> That's why we're on the podcast. <laughs> Aaron
2: Beaver says, cut the other characters being racist to Danny. It's bananas to write your characters saying those lines and then want the audience to be like lovable scamps.
1: Uh, this is
2: not a gritty <laughs> yep. character study on flawed people. It's a comic book movie about some teens fighting a fear bear. And if you don't read comics, all you know is these people by the end of the movie are... Girl having really terrible week. Who creates nightmares? Transdimensional puppet asshole. Rich Brazilian fire coward. Religious lesbian werewolf. And sad Kentucky rocket man.
0: Great character. Those archetypes, descriptions though. are so on point. <laughs> you know, you you go back all the way to the beginning of storytelling, and those are like the six <laughs> like core archetypes. <laughs> like you can find yeah. those characters in the Bible, is what I'm saying.
1: The <laughs> like, Comedia del Arte.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, transdimensional
3: puppet asshole <laughs> i remember jeff dunham being in this movie anyway.
2: <laughs> dan who writes things says inside all of us are two bears she said multiple times But does she summon an angel bear to stop the demon bear? She does not. I was promised a second bear. Give me my second bear.
4: (laughs) Danny G is fun.
3: This was my wife's note as well. Um, Lena was going to write something in, and then I showed Lena this tweet, because I was like, this is exactly what you were saying. Lena was like, if I was on the show, I would just go hard on why were there not two bears? I was promised two bears. Show me a second bear, please.
4: (laughs)
2: Andrew Craig says, good choice. This movie was a complete and total disaster. Removing it from the larger mutant universe Fox had created was a mistake. And while I appreciate the push towards the more horror aesthetic, they changed each of the characters from the comics in a way that just alienated fans old and new. Hopefully when the MCU develops the X-Men, we'll see better versions of these characters.
0: Ah, I thought Wolfsbane worked really good. Yeah. I don't think that Um, she was too different from in the comics, was she?
3: I don't think, like, her and Danny worked pretty great, and Mm -hmm. uh, Ileana had aspects that I liked and aspects that really (laughs) didn't work. I think it was,
2: yeah. I don't know. Mileage may vary, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. As someone who's not familiar with any of these, the only one that I really found kind of incongruous was, like we said, the um, sunspot being like, I can't touch anyone or I'll explode them. Hey, I want to fuck you. Like... Mm-hmm. For someone who's completely unfamiliar with these characters, they all tracked and I could see I could assume what the char- the comic book characters were like and how they would translate. Like I, I I knew Lockheed was a dragon. I didn't know in what context he existed. Uh, so when he was a puppet, I'm like, oh, I bet they I bet he's not a puppet in the comics, but they just did that for for brevity and clarity. Uh, in the same way, like, I don't know who or what Dupe is, but I'm excited for the day Dupe shows up in, a,
1: in, a, in an X-Men movie. We
2: all are. We all are, yeah. baby. <laughs> um, Yeah, like you said, mileage may vary, right? I mean, the whole time, I mean, like, I didn't even, I didn't know Mr. Sinister's name was Essex. So when they're like yeah. the Essex school, I'm like, I am I supposed to know what that is? I, I don't know, you know. They really do a bad job of, of bringing
3: people in who aren't aren't you know up on that. Not like you're you're expected to have read the the buzz online and gotten in on the on the speculation and and
2: if you didn't, then too bad for you, I guess. Yeah, it's not an <laughs> Easter egg. It's a plot point you're expected to know.
1: Yeah, it's the kind only... of like that the that um, I am Khan moment from Star Trek Into Darkness, where it's just yeah. like that's only for the audience, right? <laughs>
3: And yeah, only for the audience that knows. Yeah, um, it was weird that they reused footage from Logan, right? We didn't talk about that at any point, but that was weird, right? When she like went into Ray's mind and saw the future, and it was just B-roll from Logan. <laughs>
0: oh, I, I did think that was kind
2: of weird. I was like, "Are we eventually going to see that facility? Or are we eventually going to see these kids?" Yeah. Like in the they movie used Logan. <laughs> I didn't realize that was from Logan. Wow.
3: Yeah. I, I it took me a second to place it, but then in the credits, it was there of like footage used from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and yeah. Logan.
0: Yeah, the um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer stuff was pretty heavy handed.
2: Hmm. Final comment of the night. Uh, Tax says I'd lead into the paranoid waking nightmare existence of a good what the fuck is going on movie. Choose mutants whose powers manifest in seemingly unhelpful or bodily horrific ways. Let everyone but Danny feel off, shitty, and unreliable, like they're always focused on the wrong thing. Now add terrors crawling from the shadows that, at first, no one else notices. Also, acknowledge that it's weird. There's only five <laughs> patients in <and> one doctor. <laughs> uh, that's creepy on its own, but imagine if the others acted like it was a campus full of people who are supposedly just out of view. My twist? The facility has a power dampening field to keep the patients safe from their powers, but uh, but it amplified Danny's power to create nightmares, leaving most of the staff patients asleep in their own nightmares and the few awake in a crazed brain fog, continuing as normal.
0: It's a pretty horrific twist, admittedly. Mm -hmm. And And it explains why the rest of the staff is seemingly just not there. Dig it. I think in our ver- all of our versions though, there's more staff for the for the teens yeah. to <laughs> escape from. Yeah,
2: it, yeah, it just felt empty. Like it was, it really, especially because no one like addresses it. It doesn't. It 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 could add, It really could add to the creepiness. Like it could add to the the ten Cloverfield Lane vibes if they acknowledge that it's just them. But the fact that they just sort of pretend it's fine that there's one doctor. Yeah. Even like an assistant. Even if she had
0: one helper. Like one mooc. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No. There that's going to conclude our episode on new mutants. Thank you very much, uh, Robin and Olaf, for joining us. Um, Robin, where can we find you online? Any exciting projects you're working on? Things people should check out. No, absolutely.
3: Uh, yeah. Check us, uh, check out Quantum Kickflip. Uh, it's another podcast here on the Alberta Podcast Network where, uh, Liam and I and, a, a bunch of our best and funniest friends in the world play a game called Slug Blaster, which is a tabletop role-playing game developed right here in Edmonton as well. Uh, it's teens going on inter- interdimensional adventures, uh, getting up to wacky hijinks and blowing up monsters, and we just started our second season, um, so you've got an entire season to listen to if you're the type that wants a ton of episodes to dive into, but also you can jump on right at the newest one and not have too much catch up if you're the kind of person that gets stressed out with a queue of 30-something episodes of a podcast. So it's a win-win, baby.
2: I'd even suggest, uh, if you want to know what Slug Blaster is, it's a tabletop RPG game created by uh, an artist here in Edmonton. Um, I believe the two days before this episode of I Have Some Notes drops, we are releasing our live episode. Is that correct, Robin?
3: Uh, I don't know when this episode drops, but we will be releasing our live episode
2: on the 30th of November. So the live episode is fun because it's just like a nice, like a a beer flight of the worlds and characters and shenanigans that happen in a typical game of Slug Blaster, our podcast, your game of Slug Blaster, whatever. Um, So if you want a sample of what we do and what Slug Blaster is, I'd maybe recommend the live episode that'll be uh, just released shortly before this episode of I Have Some Notes. So. Um, yeah, uh, at Quantum Kicklip. Uh, Olav, uh, the co-editor of the unofficial Hugo Book Club blog. Uh, what's the Twitter handle for that, if Twitter's still a thing when this drops, and <laughs> any other things people, folks should check out?
4: At Hugo underscore book underscore club. And uh, my wife and I got invited to guest edit an edition of a publication called Journey Planet, and hopefully that edition will be online in mid-December. It's journeyplanet.weebly.com. They're a fanzine dedicated to a pretty wide range of sci-fi, but we are doing the climate change edition, so uh, everything having to do with science fiction that depicts a warming planet.
1: So, uh, Keanu Reeves is uh, "The Day the Earth Stood Still." Is probably first on your list, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> 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 love it. Uh,
2: excellent uh and of course uh you can follow us uh, at i have some notes on twitter at i have some notes pod on instagram or facebook.com slash i have some notes wherever it is you're listening to this please give us a subscribe a rate a review whatever little clickies you can do next to our stuff on your podcatcher of choice uh do that we appreciate it. it really helps us out
0: Hey, if you ever find yourself trapped in a a strange asylum slash boarding school that is being run by a shadowy figure who turns out to be Mr. Sinister, probably you're in the middle of a conspiracy. And you could say, it's a conspiracy, just like the podcast, with Andrew, Charlie, and Greg laying out the beliefs behind conspiracy theories, myths, and more. You can find that and other podcasts right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com.
1: And uh, join us in two weeks as we learn to let it go, let it go, let it go. That's right. We're going to tear down your kid's favorite movie, Frozen. Uh, Until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. Welcome to Super
2: Typical Mega Bank. How can we disappoint you today? Hi, I'd like to open an account. May I pressure you into considering a pro-disadvantage, high-regret, impersonal, everyday, inconvenient savings plan with added compounded confusion at no additional discount or apology? It's one of our top disappointers. I feel so... Disappointed? Yeah. Another unsatisfied customer.
4: Next! If your bank makes you feel like this, it's time you talk to us. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future.